Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line KINY. Welcome to Action Line. Ken Smith in studio with my guest today. They're economists, so it's going to get serious here, folks. Karina Wiebold and Sarah Teal are joining me. First, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And Karina? Good to be here. Thank you. So let's uh, get into it. Uh, we're going to be talking about money, finances, the economy, state employment, and Southeast. We'll start first with Southeast because a lot of people want to listen in our local stations and know what's going on with our economy, which drives everything, politics, job growth, and businesses. Last year, coming out of the pandemic, this must have been a challenging year for you to document. This is a very unique time for us. When's the last time we came out of a pandemic and jobs were shut down? How did we rebound in 2022? Well, in 2022 for Southeast Alaska, we added about 2,400 jobs, which was an increase of 7.1% compared to the year before. This is actually um, better than what we had originally anticipated when we did this last year. And it's really remarkable because it's the largest regional growth in Alaska. So Southeast outperformed other areas of the state. Why is that? Tourism. That would be part of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, because in 2020, when the pandemic hit, we lost about, I have this, almost, what, 13.5% of our jobs in Southeast. It was primarily in the tourism industry, but there were still issues, you know, all over. And because we had those deep losses with our relatively healthy tourist season this summer, we have uh, recovered a number of those jobs. I just wanted to add there, too, that um, Southeast outperformed other areas of the state in 2022. It also suffered the largest losses in 2020. And as Sarah mentioned, it was because of uh, the large tourism sector that we have here with transportation and then with leisure and hospitality, that's the bars and restaurants and accommodations. So that hit Southeast particularly hard because we have such a high concentration of those jobs. We also have a lot of local government and state government jobs, and they were both very highly affected, particularly local government and schools. Then you have the commercial fishing industry. Did you track that? We track the seafood processing jobs, so we, we do not track in the, the independent fishermen, but those were, um, let's see here, let's see, we had a loss last year of about 300 jobs. That was down about 15%, and that has to do more. Some of it is staffing issues, but also with the harvest. Yeah, and looking back at 2020, it was a very bad fishing year in Southeast. And so not only were there issues with um, the seafood processing workers um, and the, the plants being shut down, because of course, COVID had real concerns about having people in close quarters, and that's basically how a seafood processing unit is run. Also, we rely heavily on um, out-of-state workers to fill our seafood processing jobs, and it wasn't a period of time when it was easy to recruit or transport people for that. So we had a double whammy there, and it's been a little bit slow to recover. It's taken some time. It's already a very volatile industry with a lot of different changes year to year, but it's been hard to kind of get back to normal. And I know, as an example, there's a seafood processing plant 
Washington Wrangell that hasn't opened since 2020, and they're citing poor runs as opposed to the pandemic as why, but that's another consideration as we look at seafood processing in Southeast. Do you know where the migrant workers come from for the fish processors? Because it is a strong migrant workforce. Mm -hmm. Big picture, we do. It's a lot of West Coast, so California, Oregon, and Washington um, send a lot of people up. And we also have a fair number of um, international workers, um, particularly, I think, from the Philippines. But we do have a lot of people. And visas were an issue during that pandemic period, too. So a lot of um, convergence of different kind of problematic uh, pressures. So the Southeast... Uh, last year had good growth. How was the state as a whole? We have the Anchorage numbers. We always like to compare the statewide numbers to the Southeast numbers. Yeah, so we were talking about in 2022, Southeast grew by over 7%. Statewide, that was much more muted. It was 2.7% statewide. So it was, um, it was lower, and Anchorage was similar. Anchorage's growth was a little bit smaller than that, and Fairbanks was about on par. Fairbanks uh, was an interesting one, and Sarah can speak to that some because that is an area that she focuses on. Sarah, what kind of kept um, Fairbanks going through the pandemic? Fairbanks had one variable that, that other regions did not have, and that was an increase in their population. There was the F-35 bed down at Ileson Air Force Base, and that brought in, um, I think, between three and 4,000 people from, from about 2020 to about 2022, and that helped to promote growth. Well, not a growth, but it helped as a, a buffer to the economic losses that they saw. And so in 2020, Fairbanks lost 6.6% of its jobs and it was much higher elsewhere. Um, but as we come out of the pandemic, uh, for example- and We for, say when we come out of the pandemic, but we still are in true. a pandemic. And <laughs> anything could shift quickly with the change of this or that in the uh, variants that come out. Exactly. How about as we are coming into our new reality? <laughs> um, Fairbanks in 2022 only um, had a marginal increase in its jobs of 0.8%. And that's a really good point, Ken, is that there have been so many things that have changed and so many ripple effects from like the initial closures that we saw with the pandemic in 2020 in like April, May, June, then having schools closed for the period of time that they have. We've been seeing workers fall out of the labor force for a huge variety of reasons. The stock market did really well too. Um, we've had supply chain issues. There are just a real swirl of things that are continuing to affect the economy. And every year for the last couple of years has been a different mix of these, these issues. It's a challenging time for the country, for Alaska especially, because we're so remote and rely heavily, especially in Southeast, on barges to come and bring our... I was reading about uh, the lack of butter. I mean, who, who would think that's a problem, to get butter in our grocery stores? <laughs> but it's happening because of distribution problems, and uh, those would be ongoing challenges, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and another ongoing challenge for the whole state, as well as the whole world, of course, is volatile oil prices and inflation. When we did this last year, inflation and the war in Ukraine was not on our radar. 
Yep, there's definitely been a lot of things that we weren't able to predict. So it's been interesting to see how those pan out and how it affects the economy. But like as Sarah said, oil prices have been on a wild ride over the last couple of years. Right after the pandemic hit and we had the initial closures that summer of 2020, oil prices plunged into the negative territory for a while. So people, you were basically paying to take oil off of the hands of some of the producers. And after the war in Ukraine started, and that kind of curtailed the global supply as um, we were trying not to buy from Russia. All of a sudden, prices were higher than they've been in many years. They were pushing 130, I think, at some mm -hmm. point. So that has had a huge effect on the energy prices that people are paying for their homes heating and for their transportation. But at the same time, it swelled the state coffers quite a bit. So it's been a, a real mixed bag. One of the challenges that have been brought up uh, is by the city manager here in Juneau and other people, and I'm sure it's on your minds. How do we get workers into Southeast? Job fulfillment, jo job placements have been tough to fill and retain. Have you seen those numbers and do you have a, a idea of what could be done? We're not quite as good at the what can be done aspect of any of this, but we are pretty good at looking at what's been going on. So I would say that um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has this one data source where they look at the number of job openings and then compare that to the number of available workers who would be considered the unemployed. And the number of job openings in Alaska and nationwide are higher than they've been historically, like way higher. So there's a huge number of job openings. The labor pool, um, particularly the labor force participation rate, which is the number of people who are trying to work or working, is much smaller than it's been, and that's been on a, a multi-decade decline. Then we also have an aging workforce, so we've got people who are starting to age out of the workforce, and then we have uh, a lower birth rate here in Alaska, so we have fewer kids kind of in the pipeline coming up to these working ages. So, And then Southeast also has a pretty healthy number of out-of-state residents who come to work in our seasonal industries, see food processing, construction, and tourism. So when the when the rest of the country is also really looking for workers and wages are going up as a result of that, Alaska has a little bit less of a draw to those out-of-state workers. So um, what you heard from the city manager is real. We're seeing it in a huge variety of data, and it's going to be a difficult thing. Usually, I would say this is the kind of problem where you throw money at it. Um, higher wages attract people. Are we way behind on the wage increase here? Do we need to do a drastic increase in wages? I heard teachers across the nation need to start at 60000 to get them back into the classroom. That's a push now. What do we need to make in Alaska to be a solid middle-income class? It's a good question. I don't have an answer to it, but um, one of our economists, Neil Freed, just a couple of months ago did an article in Trends where he was talking about um, how Alaska wages compare to the nation. And we used to, think back in the 80s, be highly competitive. You could make something like 25% more in most occupations if you worked in Alaska. That was our premium. That uh, has shrunk quite a bit. I think we're still above the national average, but we are certainly not among the highest paying states anymore. So we have lost some of that competitive edge. Well, I'll just jump in and say we need to be the highest paying state in the nation. We have to pay a lot of money for things here. We do. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Everything's gone up in inflation and you've drastically seen it over the last year if you've been living here. Have you not seen those numbers? 
Absolutely. They're very high. I think we're pushing an annual inflation rate of something at or above 8%, which is higher than we've seen since the 80s. Wow. Yeah, so um, who, who's in charge of uh, the increase of wages? So how do we, maybe we need to start with the, uh, setting a higher minimum wage. I don't know. The higher minimum wage is an interesting one, and I believe that that is now pegged to inflation in Alaska, so that should be going up um, on an annual basis, at least with this next one, it might be a pretty hefty increase. Um, so minimum wage is certainly a con- uh, consideration. In general, wages are the kind of variable that is expressed one individual employer and employee at a time. So these are decisions that are made on the micro level as a lot of organizations think about what they're doing. But particularly in Juneau, we have some very large um, government employers, the feds, the state, and um, the local governments. And they do have the opportunity to put a more concerted effort into what they're going to do with their wages in bulk. I'm talking with Karina Weibold and Sarah Teal, economist with the State Department of Labor. We'll continue with talk about what to look ahead. What are the economic trends facing Alaska and Southeast? Welcome back to Action Line. Ken Smith here with my guest, Karina Weibold and Sarah Teal, economist with the Alaska State Labor Department. And we're talking about trends now going on in Southeast Alaska as well as the state. During the break, we were talking about housing trends and uh, the condition of uh, housing out there. You mentioned an interesting thing, Karina, that you said actually the population is going down while housing development is going up, yet we see a tight market. Yep, it's an interesting situation. Um, If we look back about 10 years, Juno's population really hasn't changed much. We've been hovering right about 30,000, generally speaking. And also, if you look back over 10 years, there has been several hundred new housing units, both for sale and rentals, that have been produced over that time period. So there's a question of, like, why is it at such a tight market? Do I have an answer for that? I really don't, unfortunately. There's a combination of things, though, that are in effect there. Um, When the interest rates were so low, it was a good time for people to look at purchasing. It became more affordable. So people who had been renting kind of transferred into looking more at uh, owning. With that switchover recently, there's been more people who are interested in renting. I believe our vacancy rate has gone down somewhat in the last couple of years. We have actually a rental survey that the the department does in March, and that's something that we usually publish the results in uh, May or June. So I'd encourage people to take a peek at that. But it's a complicated thing. Another thing that has to do with housing units and housing demand is um, what we call household formation. And so when times are tough, people tend to have roommates or they live with their parents longer and then when things have loosened up the job market's looking better interest rates are better rents are better then you see people who had been living in um, more of a joint fashion starting to branch out on their own we call that household formation so a lot of different things going on there and then Juneau and other southeast communities too are really restricted by the availability of land and when you look around you say there's land everywhere I don't get it but we have a lot of land that is owned by entities that kind of have it locked up. So think about um, state, local governments, the feds, national parks, state parks, tribes, everybody's got some land. So when you see what appears to you to be available land, it not it isn't already mm-hmm. uh, necessarily. Well, Sarah, what's your specialty for looking at trends going into 2023? <laughs> um, 
Let's see. For Southeast Alaska, which is my specialty, um, right now we forecast that most of the job um, growth that we're going to see is going to come from the private sector. Um, it, it will not come from the government. And most of that is going to be in the tourism-related uh, industries as well as in construction. And that's because we will begin to see some of the um, it, the infrastructure bill money starting to come out and projects happening. Um, we don't know exactly when or how that's going to play, play out, but we do believe that that will start this year. Um, We also see some small growth in seafood processing and in retail trade. It's an interesting year for Southeast because um, unlike the last couple of years where it's been a mixed bag of some industries growing quite a bit and some of them losing continual for a couple of years, in 2023, we see everybody holding steady or small gains. So that's an improvement. But most of the real big gains that we got in Southeast, as Sarah already mentioned, happened in 2022. And the biggest driver for that as uh, local communities here was the return of cruise ships, because we really weren't sure what this year was going to look like. Uh, were they going to be full? Was there going to be a lot of them? Um, were consumers still going to be cautious about being on a cruise ship with a pretty contained population? Not everybody always like super healthy, but um, there was a real strong return. What did it look like, Sarah? It looked like, let's see here, um, we had 1. 1.3, 1.2 million cruise ship passengers this year, and that was about what, about two-thirds of full capacity? Yep, they were coming in at about 75%. And uh, we also have seen in the last couple of years the season growing a little bit in the spring. So people are coming a little sooner, and they are staying a little later. We're having ships all the way up until October. So that's been a change. But between that and schools being back in session for a solid year last year, those were kind of the big things that drove growth in Southeast. And so now those gr- those big numbers have been achieved and we're seeing smaller growth across the board as we move forward. And Sarah, your specialty is oil. We are still an oil state, relying much on it for income for state capital. How does that look for you in 2023? Variable. <laughs> there are so much uh, there is so much uncertainty around oil price that we just we don't really know where that's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen with the the war in Ukraine. We don't know what's going to happen when um, OPEC makes decisions on should they cut production or increase it. We don't know um, what oil companies are going to be doing in the lower forty eight. How how will they be investing with their capital ex- expenditures? Sarah, let me ask you a question, too. Um, Alaska's oil recovery seems to be a little different than the national oil recovery. Is there anything that you can tell us about that? It's quite a bit different. Um, And I I would say one of the biggest uh, reasons why is because the uh, North Slope, where most activity happens for uh, oil production, uh, it requires a lot of time and money. There is a long lead time bef- before you can actually get gets started on the construction for your your project. It is isolated. It is cold. You have to do a lot of permitting and, and regulations. And just getting everything there is also very costly. And so it takes a long time. And that is not what happens in the lower 48 when it's onshore. If you're in Texas, you can take a, a small drilling rig and drill almost every every day as aside from the time it takes to get from one place to another 
And Sarah, do you think that our um, oil is a little bit more political than other states' oil? Like there's more considerations, environmental and social, when people start to think about oil production in Alaska? I think for here, no. I think that people in other states also question that. But I think Alaska is more subject to international scrutiny because it is a sensitive area. Well, very good. We've touched upon a lot today with my economists, Karina Wiebold and Sarah Till. Thank you, Karina. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here, Ken. And Sarah, we'll talk again. Yes, thank you so much. You guys are good. You should do a podcast. The ladies' economy. There we go. We could be the economists. Yeah, (laughs) there we go. We've already established it. We'll talk again. You're listening uh, to KINY Radio. This was Action Line. I'm Ken Smith. Coming up, ABC News and then the ever-popular Problem Corner. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. KINY. From the Alaska Airlines Studio, you don't miss a thing on KINY Juno. 800 and 949 FM.